You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Sports Podcast. It is Monday, September 12th. 2022 people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope you're ready for what will be a jam-packed Monday episode of the Aerotora Sports Podcast. You know these Monday episodes in college football season can go a little off the rails. I promise you this one is about to. We have so much to talk. I'm not saying we're going three hours today, but we got a lot to talk about. Uh, here is some of the stuff we will hit on. We'll obviously open the thriller in Austin. Alabama survives against Texas. Texas dealing with the injury to Quinn Ewers. They still almost get the win. And I ask a very simple question. Are you more impressed with Texas coming out of this week? Are you more concerned with Alabama? Another close win. A lot of close wins last year. We'll talk about that. From there, we'll get to Upset City. Two major upsets on Saturday. Texas A&M loses. And I'll tell you, I've been a Jimbo Fisher supporter, but I got to go after him. Notre Dame loses, and I actually think it's not as big of a deal as a lot of people think for one simple reason. I will explain why. From there, we'll talk about the big news on Sunday. Scott Frost. We have done roughly 3,000 Scott Frost segments on this podcast, but he is officially out at Nebraska uh, after a loss on Saturday night to Georgia Southern. Scott Frost, we discuss him, and more importantly, what could be next at Nebraska. And finally, we wrap the show. With an 0-2, kind of the opposite of Scott Frost. Scott Frost can't get anything out of anybody. Mark Stoops gets more out of his team. It is time to officially appreciate Mark Stoops after a third win in five years against Florida. We will talk about Kentucky's victory in the swamp. Really quickly, uh, before we get to the meat of the show, a couple quick announcements. One, first of all, just want to thank everybody for their support last week. Uh, last week was the first week of the YouTube Five days a week, Aaron Torres pod. We're working on some technical stuff behind the scenes. But overall, I was so impressed and so happy that you guys and girls are finding the show, continuing to support the show. Uh, I think big things are ahead. We're going to five days a week. It is going to be awesome. So thank you guys and girls for your support. And when I say support, I should thank, of course, our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook. Huge first weekend 
for the NFL, second weekend in college football with Bedfred. I've told you about them. They've been in the UK over a thousand shops, you know, 1600 shops in the UK. They have come to the United States. They are making a big splash. Uh, gambling partner of the Cincinnati Bengals, of the Denver Broncos, who obviously play this evening, of the Colorado Rockies, and they handpicked Aaron Torres Media and the Aaron Torres Podcast, and it is because of guys and girls like you. So thank you for your support. And oh, by the way, if you want to bet, uh, there's no time like now to get involved. Uh, first of all, any week three college football game, bet 50, get to 50 on any single game in college football. But then also, as I told you the other day, they have a special bet for tonight, NFL, end of week one, Monday night football, Denver at Seattle. They have what's called the double take. When you bet on the first TD score of the game, if your guy scores the first TD and then he scores a second TD, how about this? It pays out double. So I used the example the other day. CJ Uzama, Cincinnati Bengals, was plus 4,000 as the first TD score in a game last year. If you bet him, and if and then he then scored the second touchdown, it paid out 80 to one, which means you put down 10 bucks, you got $800 courtesy of Bedfred and the Bedfred Sportsbook. So thank you to Bedfred. They are our presenting sponsor. We have so much going on with them throughout the year. Cannot wait to share some of it with you. By the way, for you Bengals fans, we got a lot of listeners in Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee. We're probably going to be at some of these Bengals games later in the year. Maybe get out to Arizona as well, where the big sports book is there. So thank you to Bedfred. And by the way, thank you to Bracket Fanatics as well. Bracket Fanatics, of course, is doing our uh, NFL Pick'em Challenge. One game left. But here's the good news. If you did not get involved in week one, that is okay. You can join after week one. Bracket Fanatics Pick'em Challenge. First of all, we will pick, we will announce the winner of week one either on Tuesday or Wednesday's show. But the best part about this is if you have not signed up yet, we have weekly winners, $100 each week, and then we have our $1,000 season-long cash prize. So if you miss week one, it's not too late to sign up. You're entered to win all these cash prizes weekly, and then, of course, the $1,000 grand prize as well. Free to enter, BracketFanatics.com. The bracket name is Torres, T-O-R-R-E-S. It is pinned to the top of my bio on Twitter. So thank you to Bracket Fanatics. And again, thank you to our presenting sponsors, Betfred Sportsbook. With that said, though, I'm already out of breath. Let's get to the topic of the day. And I'll say this, talk about a Monday. We could have had about four different topics of the day. We could have talked about Notre Dame losing to Marshall, Texas A&M losing to App State, Scott Frost being fired. But where I want to start topic of the day it is in austin with that thriller between texas and alabama alabama a 20 point favorite coming in in the bedfred sportsbook nobody myself included gave them a chance and yet there nobody gave texas a chance nobody gave alabama a chance to do anything other than dominate and yet there they were late in the game with a chance to win this was just an all-time great game, an all-time thriller, and really a game that had it all. It had highs. It had lows. It had some dumb stuff from Alabama. It had some dumb stuff from Texas. Uh, it had a Bryce Young rally. It had Quinn Ewers. It had some weird, um, you know, referee stuff. But more than anything, you know what it had? It had two teams with two very different situations at quarterback. And so when I look at this game, when I break down Texas-Alabama, and when I think about what was the ultimate decider of this game? 
it comes down to one thing for me. Alabama had its Heisman Trophy winning potential number one overall pick on the field late, making plays like Bryce Young does. Unfortunately for Texas, they obviously didn't. Quinn Ewers gets hurt. And to me, that was the difference in the game. First of all, for Alabama, we're going to get into it in a minute. I can't ever remember a scenario where Alabama looked as bad, as disorganized, as sloppy as they did on Saturday afternoon. This was a team that finished with 15 penalties, the most of the Nick Saban era, 100 penalty yards, missed assignments. The defense was on its heels when Quinn Ewers was in the game. The offensive line gave up some big sacks. The run game was non-existent in part because of Bill O'Brien. And none of it mattered because Alabama had Bryce Young. Bryce Young changed this game. Bryce Young won this game with two plays. It reminded me of a lot of games last year where Bryce Young just did Bryce Young stuff late. The two games, the two plays, excuse me, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They came late. They came in the fourth quarter. They came in winning time. Early in the fourth quarter, Alabama is trailing. Bryce Young drives Alabama the length of the field. Crazy play, about to be tackled, spins, touchdown pass, gives Alabama a slight lead, 17-16 with about seven minutes to go, pass to Jameer Gibbs. From there, a few minutes later, Texas gets the ball back, drives the length of the field. Shout out Will Anderson, who made a big sack to make the Texas uh, 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 field goal a little bit longer. But then how about our boy, Texas kicker, Burt Aust- uh, Auburn. Burt Auburn is this guy's name, kicks a field goal to put, Al- uh, to put Texas up 19 to 17. And then Bryce Young again drives Alabama the length of the field. Will Reichert hits a game-winning field goal. But let's be honest. Bryce Young had a 20-yard run a few plays earlier to put Alabama in field goal position to win the game. That was the difference, and the difference was Bryce Young. Alabama gets the win 20-19, to and I'll just be honest. As I sit back and look, as I sit back and, and say what I have to say, uh, it does. It, what, what jumps out to me is exactly what I just said a few minutes ago. Alabama gets the win because of Bryce Young. Nick Saban just gushes praise upon him about his leadership, about his preparation, about his ability, about all the stuff that he does. But I also think it speaks to the question that I have coming out of this game. When you think back to Texas, Alabama, 2022 in Austin on September 10th, what is the bigger question coming out? Is it your concerns with Alabama or are you just impressed by Texas? And I think it could be a little bit of both from Alabama. As I said, I don't ever remember a game where Alabama looked as disorganized, as unfocused, as undisciplined, as unprepared as they did on Saturday, okay? There have been plenty of games through the years where Alabama has faced a team with equal or better talent. Georgia last year, Clemson in the title game a few years ago, Um, you know, LSU when LSU had Joe Burrow. There have been times where they just ran into a team that was better. Rarely have I seen them beat themselves as much as they did on Saturday. That's no disrespect to Texas. We're going to get to them. They looked awesome. They looked fantastic. But at the same time, what did I just say about Alabama? 15 penalties, 100 penalty yards. By the way, my guy, Will Anderson, my Heisman Trophy pick, two or three offsides penalties that were costly. The defensive backs looked lost when Quinn Ewers was in the game. Uh, The offensive line let defenders through a few times. Bryce Young took a few sacks. The run game was non-existent. I said this to my radio partner on Saturday night, Jason Martin. I said, name me a position group outside of quarterback with Bryce Young 
that you thought played at an elite level or even an average to above average level on Saturday in Austin? I think the answer is probably none of them, especially when you consider that Texas was playing with a backup quarterback for most of the game. And so when I look at Alabama, I'll be honest, I am a tiny bit worried going into the rest of the season. Now, listen, it's all relative. What's the old saying? Caviar problems, uh, you know, billionaire problems, whatever the term is. Alabama's problems are concerning relative to, you know, relative to everybody else. Their, their problems aren't all that concerning. And what I would say is let's, let's not discredit the fact that they went on the road, 105,000 people, biggest fan attendance in the history of Darrell Royal Stadium in Austin and still found a way to get a win. But at the same time, it was hard not to watch that game and see the same concerns from last year with Alabama pop up once again. I thought Joel Klatt talked about it quite a bit during the game. Do they have that game-breaking, difference-making wide receiver? I remember talking about this last year when Jamison Williams, you know, Jamison Williams came on late, but outside of Jamison Williams' first-round pick now playing for the Detroit Lions, who was that guy for Alabama last year? He didn't exist. And so with Alabama, it was a lot of stalled drives. It was a lot of this. It was a lot of that. Jamison Williams was able to bail him out, bail them out. But when Jamison Williams wasn't making plays, it was hard to get those big explosive plays that you need to win at the highest level of college football. Well, you look at Alabama on Saturday, it was very much the same. When it wasn't Bryce Young making plays with his feet, when it wasn't Bryce Young buying time in the pocket till his receivers got open, they didn't have those two, three, four difference makers. And I do really wonder, did we take for granted just how talented the, those 2018, 2019 Alabama teams were 2020 when they had Jalen Waddle, who now plays for the Miami Dolphins, Jerry Judy, who plays for the Denver Broncos, Devontae Smith, who won a Heisman Trophy, Najee Harris, who plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Obviously, uh, unfortunately, Henry Ruggs, who's no longer in the NFL for obvious reasons. And if you don't know him, you can Google him. Did we take for granted just how talented those teams were, especially at the skill positions? And then, oh, by the way, did we take for granted how great of a play caller Steve Sarkeesian is? And so when I look at this Alabama team, this isn't time to panic. It's not time to worry. And if you go back to last year, let's not forget week three, they go to Florida. They win by two points against a team that, as it turns out, Florida wasn't very good. Six and six in the regular season, five and six when Dan Mullen got fired. Alabama almost lost in the swamp last year, early in the season, much like this year. And so it's not to say that you can't reach your goals or that you won't reach your goals. Because last year, Alabama almost lost in the, in, the, in the third week of the season on the road end up winning the SEC West, end up winning the SEC, and end up playing for a national championship. But what I would also say, we don't do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong until Friday's show. But what I would say is that where Aaron was wrong, I thought this was going to be an all-time Alabama team, a team that was elite on defense again like last year, but then at the same time also had those skill position guys on offense. I'm not sure that that's what I see from Alabama this year. I think they're going to be really good, but they still have to play at Arkansas. Arkansas is no pushover. They looked awesome against South Carolina. They're going to have to play at Ole Miss. They're going to have to play at Tennessee. They're going to have to play Mississippi State, who they've had pretty good success with. Texas A&M is an, a story unto itself. The point I'm trying to make, Auburn at home. The point I'm trying to make, I thought this was a, a revenge tour. I thought this was a team that was going to steamroll everybody in college football this year. I don't know that I feel that way after the, the win for te against Texas. And I'll just say this again, 
You never want to discredit a team for going on the road and beating a good team. But at the same time, I don't think that I feel the exact same way about Alabama that I maybe did two, three weeks ago. Quickly from the opposite perspective, we got to give a ton of credit to Texas. As I said, 20-point underdog in the Betfred Sportsbook coming into this weekend. They were probably the better team. And to be honest, if Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt, they probably win that game. And so for me with Texas, one, I came away very impressed. This isn't an anti-Texas, you know, whatever. There are a couple things that stand out. Most notably, I don't know how Texas fans are supposed to feel today. One, generally we don't do moral victories in college football. But as I said on Friday's show, every Texas fan that I talked to, I think most of them were just thinking two things. Let's not get embarrassed and let's not have any major injuries and come out of this and get ready for the rest of the season. Well, the positive, and it is a huge positive, not only did you not get embarrassed, you were probably the better team. But then on top of that, the negative is, of course, Quinn Ewers, their star quarterback, who looked every bit like the number one prospect in America coming out of high school, which he was, goes down with an injury. By the time I started recording, we did get an update. Pete Thamel from, from ESPN says that Quinn Ewers is going to be out four to six weeks. Um, and I do think that's big. And, and I do think that's why, while I am impressed with Texas, it's really one of two reasons why I don't really know what to make of Texas coming out of week one. I do think on the one hand, again, you have to feel really good. The defensive line got after Bryce Young. Athletically, they looked every bit the part of Texas. The skill position guys are insane. Xavier Worthy's awesome. Uh, Bijan Robinson is awesome. Uh, uh, Jatavian Sanders, the tight end, is awesome. Jordan Whittington, the wide receiver, is awesome. There is a lot of things to be excited about if you're a Texas fan, but there's two reasons I can't get too excited just yet. And I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just not saying I'm more in a wait-and-see approach when it comes to Texas. When it comes to Texas, I'm in wait-and-see approach for two reasons. One, you could see that the coaching staff did not have the same trust in the backup quarterback Hudson Card as they did in the starter Quinn Ewers. And it's kind of funny because if you remember about two weeks ago when Quinn Ewers was named the starter, there was a lot of drama about was Quinn Ewers really the better quarterback? Was he handed the job because he was a five-star recruit? Well, I think we saw on Saturday, no, 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 no. Quinn Ewers was definitely the better quarterback, definitely the better prospect. And I bring it up because when Hudson Card came in the game, you could tell they were calling the game as a coaching staff a lot different. They weren't letting him throw the ball downfield. They weren't letting him really do much of anything. He got hurt himself a little bit later, which limited him even further. But it almost reminds me of the Clemson game that I talked about on last Wednesday's episode, where you go back to the Clemson game. The Clemson coaching staff was calling a completely different game when DJ Uyangalale was in the game as opposed to when Kate Klubnik was. When Kate Klubnik was in, they had all, they seemed to have a lot more confidence in the freshman than they did the junior. And it was clear to me that they seemed to have a lot more confidence in Hudson Card, in Quinn Ewers, than they did the backup Hudson Card. And that's where I guess I'm concerned if I was a Texas fan, because it's going to be three or four weeks before Quinn Ewers comes back. Now you have a game against Texas San Antonio that you should win. But then you got to go to Texas Tech. You got to play West Virginia before the Oklahoma game. And listen, they're saying all the right things about him coming back for Oklahoma. That would be the very front end of when he was expected to be back. My guess would be he's not back until after that Oklahoma game. They play Iowa State a week later. Um, I don't think he's coming back for Oklahoma. I don't think they're going to rush him back, uh, you know, to, to, you know, I don't think they're going to rush him back. Uh, just just to get him on the field for Oklahoma. They're going to do what's best for him in the long term. The other reason I can't get too excited about Texas just yet, 
it's because it's Texas. And Texas fans, if you're listening, this isn't a Texas isn't back. You suck. It's not what it's about. But we know that Texas now has like a 15-year track record that every time something good happens, every time a big win happens, it's immediately followed by the bottom falling out. It's immediately followed by a bad loss, two bad losses, a losing streak, a loss to an unranked opponent at home, a loss to kid. We've seen it all. And so it's hard for me to get excited, especially knowing that the offense is not going to look the same without Quinn Ewers. I was impressed by Texas. I'll be honest. I don't think I realized how bad I want Texas to be relevant up until Saturday afternoon in Austin where they went toe-for-toe with Alabama. Steve Sarkeesian, we'll see if he's the real deal. He looked awesome. He is a great play caller, and you see what he can do when he has real difference makers on offense. But until we get Quinn Ewers back, and until I see them for two or three games without Quinn Ewers, it's hard for me to get excited. If I knew he was healthy going forward, I would say I probably like Texas in just about every game this season. I think Oklahoma might be a toss-up. I would like them at home against Baylor. I would like them on the road against Kansas State. I would like them on the road against Oklahoma State. But without Quinn Ewers, I think it remains to be seen. Great first segment of the Aerator Sports Podcast. Uh, Love and appreciate all your guys' support. It's going to be a lengthy show. It's what I need you to do. Hydrate, get focused, have a little fun. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back, and we are going to talk about the two major upsets. One, Texas's former rival, Texas A&M. They're still their rival. They went down against App State, and I got some stuff on Jimbo Fisher. Also got some stuff on Notre Dame losing to Marshall. We'll take a quick break. I will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears. And I do really, uh, you know, you know, listen, what happened in Austin was insane. Alabama survives Texas. But it shows you how crazy the day in college football was that we had three top 10 upsets and we are just now getting to it in the second segment of the show. Obviously, if you stayed up late, you saw number nine Baylor fall at BYU. Don't know that that one is shocking, considering that BYU actually came into that one as a slight favorite. But the two big ones, the two ones that everybody are talking about, I do want to get into them, but I want to talk about them a little bit different because I see them a little bit different. Texas A&M obviously falling at home to Appalachian State. Notre Dame falling at home 26-21 to to Marshall. Let's start with Texas A&M. Because while I can sort of forgive Marcus Freeman, and I'll explain why in a minute, Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M losing at home to Appalachian State in year five of the Jimbo Fisher era is just absolutely inexcusable. 
And if it was just a loss, first of all, credit Appalachian State. I don't want to take anything away from them. But if it was just a loss to Appalachian State, it'd be one thing. The problem is it is the context behind how the loss happened, how Texas A&M looked, all that good stuff. For those of you who did not watch the game, I'm just going to tell you, you didn't miss much. Okay, so Texas A&M loses 17-14. to Here's the crazy part. Devin A-Chain, their star uh, skill position guy who basically has world-class sprinter speed, he actually returned a kickoff for a touchdown. So they had they, they lose 17 to 14, and one of their scores came off of a kickoff return, which means I'm not great at math. It means they scored seven points against Appalachian State. Okay. Seven points against Appalachian State. And how about this? 186 yards of total offense against Appalachian State, nine first downs against Appalachian State. And, and keep in mind now, we do have now have two data points. For, week, uh, for, for the 2022 college football season. In week one, Appalachian State gave up almost 600 yards and over 60 points to North Carolina. A week later, Texas A&M cannot break 200 yards against them. And so this was a bad loss. It was an embarrassing loss. And let's just jump right to the, the, the theme of what we're going to talk about over these next few minutes. There is zero excuse, and all of the blame falls solely on one man. It falls on Jimbo Fisher. It falls on a guy who was brought to Texas A&M to compete at the highest level to win national championships. He is being paid $9 million a year, just below Dabo, Kirby Smart, and Nick Saban. And right now, he is not delivering like any of those guys have over the last couple of years. And the crazy part about Jimbo Fisher, I think if you listen to this show, I've actually been pretty defensive of Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M. First of all, the NIL stuff, you can go somewhere else. If you want the, the NIL hot takes and, and whatever, if that's really what you want, this is not the segment for you. But at the same time, I've been pretty uh, forgiving of Jimbo Fisher because I do think if you kind of look at his four years at Texas A&M prior to this year, uh, I, I think he's done about what you would hope for. Year one, uh, you, you go nine and four. I don't care who it is in the SEC, in the SEC West, nine and four in year one is a pretty good showing. Year two, they fall back to eight and five. But if you really go back and you remember the details, a little bit of a different story there, right? That was the 2019 season. And they played arguably four of the five best teams in the country that year. They played LSU with Joe Burrow that won a national championship. They played Clemson, who lost to LSU in the title game. They played Alabama, obviously. Alabama was maybe the second best team in the country that year. They played LSU tougher than anybody with Tua playing injured. And then they also lost to Georgia that season. That was one of the weird years where they got Georgia in a cross-division game. And so, again, you can excuse year two under Jimbo. Year three, oh, by the way, they nearly make the college football playoff at 9-1. and one. And that's where I think most of us thought, okay, this thing is going in the right direction. Last year, they take a step back at 8-4, and four, but they had lost a lot off of that title team. And you can also forgive last year's 8-4 and four season, oh, by the way, because of what it was followed up by. And we all know what that was the number one recruiting class, not only in 2022, but also the number one recruiting class in the history of college football by ranking. And so I've forgiven Jimbo Fisher. I've kind of believed in him. I have kind of believed, look, this is a new era of college football. Alabama and, and Georgia are recruiting at such an insane level. You got to give this guy time. But I do think part of the reason why yesterday was so frustrating is because of, in fact, the recruiting itself, okay? Okay. What's important to note about Texas A&M, last year in 2022, despite what everybody will tell you, despite what Slice Bread on a message board will tell you, despite what Nick Saban will tell you, 
Last year was not a one-off year for Texas A&M. Now, by technicality, it was because they've never signed the number one class historically great before. But over the last four years, Texas A&M has recruited about as well as anybody not named Georgia or Alabama. In 2020, they obviously signed the number one class. The year before, 2021, they signed the number eight class. They signed the number six class in 2020. They signed the number four class in 2019, which means that over the last four years, they've signed four top 10 classes, three top six recruiting classes in the country, including the number one recruiting class last year. And I do think that is why so many people are frustrated in Aggieland with this loss on Saturday. It's one thing if it's year five and you're still just not quite at Alabama's level. It's one thing in year five if you take a weird loss at LSU or at Arkansas or one of these up-and-coming programs or in a tough environment. When you lose at home to Appalachian State with one of the most talented rosters in all of college football, that's not even debatable, that falls directly on the coach and that falls directly on the program itself, which is exactly what we're seeing and why so many people are upset or are so upset, excuse me, not just because they lost, but because of how it happened. And again, I do think it falls on Jimbo Fisher. And I would ask you this, what makes us think it's going to get any better, right? I mean, keep in mind, Texas A&M's schedule does not get any easier from here on out. This was supposed to be the easy part of the schedule. Next four weeks, here's who they play. Miami at home, ranked opponent. On the road, or or, uh, uh, neutral site game, Arkansas the week after. Then they play at Mississippi State. Then they play at Alabama. So I'm not great at math, but here's what I can tell you about the upcoming schedule. Three of the next four are against ranked opponents. Three of the next four are away from College Station. And the one ranked opponent that you're not playing, Mississippi State, is a team that you lost to last year. And so this falls on Jimbo. And I just think at this point, if you're Jimbo Fisher, one, you're out of excuses because the problem is, again, it's not just that you're losing these games. You're losing games to teams that you shouldn't. And there's been way too many times throughout his tenure at Texas A&M, the Texas A&M has just come out looking unprepared to play, especially over the last few years. Last year, they barely beat a bad Colorado team in week two. That was the game where their starting quarterback, Haynes King, got hurt. They win 10 to 7 and survive. They followed up a few weeks later by losing to Arkansas in the Southwest Classic, losing to Mississippi State at home. And now you follow it up with an uninspired performance to, to shortly open week, uh, you know, the 2022 season. Uh, by technicality, they did beat Sam Houston State in week one. But if you saw that game, they really picked it up late. were not great early. And then, of course, you lose to App State. And so right now, all the pressure's on Jimbo Fisher. And I'll just say this. I, I think everything has to be up for grabs right now at Texas a and First off, I'll say this. He seems like a good kid. I got no personal issues with him. Haynes King isn't the quarterback. Okay, so Haynes King is the second. He's, he's now, I guess it would be his third year in the program. He redshirted two seasons ago. Last year was the starter. If you remember, started week one, got hurt in week two, missed the rest of the season. Comes back, is named the starter this year. I'm just going to say it. He's just not good enough. And I, and I obviously, I'm not a practice. I don't know what happens behind the scenes. I get all that. But he now has three starts against Kent State, Appalachian State, Sam Houston State, none of which are actual states, by the way, okay? Three starts. He is two and one with three touchdowns and three interceptions, okay? He has about a 60% completion percentage. And the thing at Texas A&M, they have other guys behind him who are pretty good. Max Johnson, transferred from LSU. I'm not saying that I love Max Johnson. I don't. 
but he won't make mistakes. He won't beat you. And you give him the talent that he's going to have at Texas A&M. I think he can win you games in this league. They have the five-star freshman, Connor Wegman. That's the guy that's supposedly the future. I'll tell you this. In 2022 in college football, I don't see any reason why if you believe this is the guy, you shouldn't play him. If you believe this, this is the guy, if you believe this guy is the future, go ahead and throw them out there. One, this season's already kind of sort of lost. I don't want to say it is, but it's hard to see the scenario where they, they go undefeated from here or even win every game except for the Alabama game later, uh, you know, about a month from now. But two, if, if 2023 really is the year, and that's all we heard out of Aggieland all summer, 2023, that's the year. That's when it's all going to come together. Well, you got to have a quarterback ready to go or we're going to be in the exact same place this, this time next year. So I think if you're Jimbo Fisher, you're paid $9 million to make tough decisions, go make that, go make that quarterback change, give somebody else a shot. I said it with DJ Uyangalale the other day with Clemson and Cade Klubnik. I said, I don't know if DJ's the, I don't know if Cade Klubnik can win you a championship. I know DJ can't. It's time to make a move. I feel the same at Texas A&M. Two, I think every position's got to be up for grabs, except maybe Devin A. Chain, the, the running back. Uh, you know, Evan Stewart, the true freshman wide receiver, was awesome. But I mean, come on now. You lose at home to Appalachian State where you get bullied at the line of scrimmage, 186 yards of total offense. There is no excuse. And finally, it falls on Jimbo Fisher. Listen, I'm not smart enough to know all the X's and O's and schemes and all this and that. I do wonder, is he taking on too much being the play caller, being the lead recruit? Like, like it is a lot in college football in 2022 to do everything that Jimbo Fisher is asked, especially at his advanced age. Lincoln Riley's under 40. Ryan Day's under 40. Marcus Freeman, by the way, is under 40. We're going to talk about him in a minute. And he actually gave up the play calling duties on defense because he wanted to focus on being kind of the CEO head coach. You look at the best coaches out there. For the most part, that's what they do. They delegate, right? Dabo delegates. Jim Harbaugh has been more hands-off in recent years. Um, you know, you go on and on down the list. Coach O, when he won a title, was hands-off when, uh, when, when he won a title. I think I'm going to say Jim Harbaugh was hands-on. He's been more hands-off. So I'm just saying, I don't have the details. I can't give you all, uh, all how much better the offense would be if it was run by somebody else. But whatever is going on at AM is not working. And I got to tell you, uh, I think Jimbo's gotten a pass in large part because of his recruiting. I think Saturday against App State was the day that he officially ran out of time. And being just a good recruiter was officially no longer an excuse anymore. All right, let's switch gears to the other big upset outside of Kyle Field. And I am, of course, talking about what happened in South Bend. Go ahead, wake up the echoes, uh, whatever the analogy, whatever the verb the terms are you want to use. We got ourselves a stunner, a stunner in South Bend as Marshall, we are Marshall, takes care of business 26 to 21 against Notre Dame. This game, much like Texas A&M, I can tell you, it was not pretty. Uh, the crazy thing about this one is if you watched it closely or you monitored it, Notre Dame really kind of had to rally to make it a little bit more respectable than it was. They had 14 fourth quarter points, including uh, a score late off of a Marshall turnover deep in their own territory. If that does not happen, Notre Dame probably loses by double figures instead of, I guess you can call it a more respectable 26-20 loss to Marshall. But what I would say about this loss is while the Texas A&M thing, like with, with, with Texas A&M, total blame on Jimbo Fisher. It's year five. There's no excuses. You have the talent in your program. I do feel a lot differently about Notre Dame following this game. And to be clear, 
not an excuse for Marcus Freeman. I know it's only year one, but you were there last year and you're paid a lot of money to be the Notre Dame football coach. And you're paid a lot of money to win games, especially the games you're supposed to. And now you're 0-3 for the first time in the history of Notre Dame football. We have a new coach that is 0-3 if you include his loss in a bowl game last year. But why I give Notre Dame a little bit of a pass is for two reasons. One, it's because Saturday kind of just confirmed to me who they are. And Saturday only reaffirmed why they're in the situation they are in and where they could potentially be going going forward. And so let me explain it really quick. I mean, first of all, in terms of where they are right now, if you listen to last Tuesday's podcast after week one, what did I say about Notre Dame after the Ohio State game? I said, yeah, Notre Dame kind of was exactly who I thought they were. I didn't think they were a top five team coming into the year. And I did think they were probably somewhere between like 12 and 20, probably a really good nine and three team. But if you looked at this team, even on paper coming into the year, first year head coach, first year quarterback, uh, lose a thousand yard rusher, lose your best wide receiver, all the stuff that I already talked about. But then even seeing them against Ohio State, you realized, oh, they don't have Ohio State type dudes. They don't have Alabama type dudes. They don't have Georgia type dudes. They frankly don't have Texas A&M, Texas type dudes. And so if you remember back to Tuesday's show, I said, uh, I don't think there's a big takeaway on Notre Dame, but, but I did feel like once they lost the lead, I didn't think they were going to get it back. They just didn't have, they just don't have and didn't have in the Ohio State game those dudes that are X factors, that are difference makers, that can turn a, a one broken tackle into a 99 yard play uh, or something like that. A, an edge rusher that can change a game like Will Anderson, Dallas Turner do for Alabama. And so when you watch them against Ohio State, you just said they don't have those difference makers. We saw it on Saturday. And when you add in the first year quarterback who was not good, then gets hurt, then you go to the backup, you get the results that you got on Saturday, not excusing the loss to Marshall. And yes, you absolutely have to be better right now because the standard is to compete at the highest levels, compete for playoff bursts, and compete ultimately for national championships. I do think also what I just said, Notre Dame not having those dudes is the is why they are in the exact situation they are in, why Brian Kelly is in Baton Rouge, and why Marcus Freeman is here at Notre Dame. Listen, the reason Marcus, uh, the reason Brian Kelly is in Baton Rouge at LSU is pretty straightforward. He had been at Notre Dame for a year, he for 10 years, a decade. He knew the culture. He knew the school. He knew the admissions. And he felt like he had capped out. I think he would have been happy to retire there. But there were rumors for years that he was looking for another place where he could compete at the highest levels of college football. There have been rumors for USC. There had been rumors for other places he eventually takes the dive and ends up at LSU. And it's because of this exact scenario. He said, I don't think I can get those dudes that are going to make a difference. I don't think I can get those two, three, four players on each side of the ball. We have great offensive linemen, but can I get an elite quarterback? Can I get elite wide receivers like Ohio State and Alabama and LSU have? Can I get those elite cover corners that LSU and whoever have? I don't think I can get those guys. I think I have done as much as I can possibly do here. And it's time for me to try somewhere, something else. And more importantly, it's time for me to go somewhere else where I can get those guys. Maybe I'll win a championship. Maybe I won't. But at least I know I will be playing with a fully stacked deck. And I will be able to recruit the same caliber players that Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, the teams that I keep coming up against and falling short against, 
I'm going to be able to get those guys at LSU. Can I win? I don't know, but I'm at least going to have a shot. And so I'm not surprised on what happened on Saturday. And I'm also, this is also, by the way, not only why Brian Kelly left, remember too, by the way, Brian Kelly knew what he had in his locker room last year when he left. And if you remember going into the last weekend, because Notre Dame doesn't play during the championship week, Notre Dame still had a chance to make the playoff last year. So what does that tell you about Brian Kelly? It tells you that he did not think he had a championship caliber roster, even though they were 11 and one a season ago when they, when he left for LSU. But what I would also say, this is why Marcus Freeman was brought in. We know he's young. We know he's energetic. We know the players love him. We know that Brian Kelly was standoffish. But at the end of the day, what we also know is Marcus Freeman, we believe to be, he will be an elite recruiter. And so why Brian Kelly left, he didn't think that he could get those three, four, five difference makers on each side of the ball to compete with Alabama and Georgia for national championships. And why Notre Dame entrusted Marcus Freeman was in large part because they do believe that he is the guy that can get those guys to come to Notre Dame. And so Marcus Freeman's tenure at Notre Dame, forget being judged off the first three games, forget being judged off of the Marshall game. It's going to be judged by over the next five years, next three years, next three recruiting cycles. Can he go into California, Ohio, Georgia, Florida? Can he go into those states and win four, five, six, Texas, four, five, six recruiting battles with Alabama, with Georgia, with Texas A&M, with Texas for the guys that those programs really want. If he does, then he is going to put himself in a position to win at the highest level. If he doesn't, then at best, you're going to have what Brian Kelly had. And at worst, you're going to have much worse and you're going to be looking for a new head coach. But to me, nothing really changed about Notre Dame after Saturday. Yes, they're 0-2. It's not about this year. Brian Kelly left because he knew the ceiling was, hey, maybe we go 11-1 and and everything breaks right and we get smacked in the playoff. And Marcus Freeman was brought in because Notre Dame believes that they have a higher ceiling from that. So Marcus Freeman shouldn't be judged off Marshall. Who cares about Marshall? What he should be judged off of is what does he do in recruiting over the next couple of years? Number three class in the country in 2023 right now. Number one class in the country in 2024 right now. And it's super early and stuff changes. And as a matter of fact, forget Marshall. I think Marcus Freeman's number one job, just be good enough so all of those kids that are currently committed don't think about decommitting. But at the end of the day, to beat Alabama, to beat Ohio State, to beat Clemson, you got to beat, you got to get those difference makers. And that's why Marcus Freeman is here. And I'll be curious to see if he can get them because if he can, it changes the trajectory of the program. Finally, what I would say, lastly, and then we'll get to some Scott Frost. Saturday did kind of prove what I've said about Brian Kelly through the years, right? Because it was funny, right? I, you know, I've said nice stuff about Notre Dame and as soon as they lose, People were like, oh, uh, you said they're good. We tried to tell you, blah, blah, blah. No, Saturday actually confirmed exactly what I said. What I've said about, about Brian Kelly and Notre Dame for years, people claim that they are overrated, but in fact, they're actually very underrated if we're being perfectly honest. If we're being perfectly honest, what Brian Kelly has done is incredible. What I've said is nobody should be doing what he does at, at this level in college football in 2022 at Notre Dame. I've said it a million times. Small Catholic school, Indiana, no recruiting base, real academic issues, academic standards. I mean, you can't just go out and get anybody. But what I also said was this, and the criticism would always be, who are the big teams that he beat? And there really aren't any, right? But if you look at who he lost to, 
He only lost to elite teams. Here were his losses the last four years. They lost to Clemson in the playoff in 2018. They lost to at Michigan and at Georgia in 2019. They lost to Clemson in the regular season and Alabama in the playoff in 2020. And they lost to Cincinnati last year in 2021. Think about that. Those are their losses. All of their losses under Brian Kelly from the beginning of 2018. Again, Clemson in the playoff. Uh, At Georgia, at Michigan. Clemson in the ACC title game. I think I said in the regular season it was the title game. Alabama in the playoff and Cincinnati, which made the playoff last year. And so, yes, Brian Kelly didn't win any, any big games that really mattered, but he never lost to anybody that he shouldn't, which is kind of an incredible feat in and of itself. So to me, I'm not going to overreact to Saturday. Marcus Freeman is not going to be judged on what happened on Saturday. He's going to be judged where that recruiting ranking is to end 2023, where that recruiting ranking is to end 2024. And can he bring in, again, enough difference makers to truly have Notre Dame competing at the highest levels of college football? I just want to do, take a quick break. We'll come back. We will talk the news of Sunday. Scott Frost is out as Nebraska head coach. And I'll talk about what went wrong and who could be next. I'll take a quick break. I will be right back. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears and, and frankly, talk about the, the big Late-breaking story, breaking news in college football on Sunday afternoon, uh, right as the NFL kicked off. We got ourselves a little bit of a college football bombshell that maybe it was a bombshell, maybe it wasn't. But the first piece of the college football coaching carousel is officially underway as Scott Frost, after four-plus years, this was his fifth year, three games in, he is fired as the head coach at Nebraska. And as we found out, according to the AD, Trev Alberts, uh, Mickey Joseph is now the interim head coach, wide receivers coach, well-respected recruiter, all that good stuff. Listen, what I would say about this, we're going to get to candidates in the future and all this and all that. I do I, I do think the job is some is now better probably than it was four or five years ago. 
Before we get into all that, though, let, let me just say a couple things. You know, one, the timing of this was both very surprising and not surprising at all. It was very surprising from the sense that Nebraska actually reworked Scott Frost's contract so that his buyout would be cut in half on October 1st. So you fire him after October 1, midnight on October 1, it's a $7.5 million buyout. You fire him before that, uh, it was a $15 million buyout. And obviously, look, we've talked about it on this show. The reason that they made that decision was to put in position a place where Scott Frost had a real opportunity this year to start with a clean slate and succeed, but for Nebraska to move quickly if he was not the right guy. So on one hand, this was a little bit of a surprising firing just because of the timing of it. But I'll also say, you know, I don't think it was surprising at all, right? I, I was on air on Fox Sports Radio during that Georgia Southern game. And that's just the type of game you just, you can't come back from it. Not in year five, not after last off season where you were given a reprieve, given the opportunity to come back, rework your staff, rework your roster, hit the portal hard, use NIL to your advantage. You can't lose to Georgia Southern two weeks after you lost to Northwestern. And you certainly can't do it in the manner in which they did 642 yards of total offense. Nebraska gave up. Uh, over seven yards per carry, over seven yards per completion. And it was crazy because I was on air during the game. Nebraska took the lead. I guess it would have been 42 to 38 with about three minutes to go. And we joked on air, you left Georgia Southern too much time. We're, of course, talking about Georgia Southern, coached by Clay Helton, of all people, in his first year. Clay Helton fired in week two last year at USC. Now leads to the firing of Scott Frost this week. And coming out of that game, I'll just be honest. On the one hand, I, I did think it, he would probably survive till October 1st. They play Nebraska, they play Oklahoma this weekend, then they have a bye, then they play on October 1st against Indiana. I thought he'd survive till that weekend, probably be let go afterward. But whether it was today, whether it was October 1, whether it was October 10, when you lose to Georgia Southern in year five, there's just no coming back from it. So I'm not surprised at all. Ultimately, what I would say before we get to kind of the future of the program. I do want to quickly say, I, I think it's a sad ending for Scott Frost, man. I don't know him personally. I know I shouldn't feel bad. He just got paid $15 million to go away. But at the same time, this is a guy that is, you know, as tied in with that program as anyone that I could ever imagine, right? Um, from Nebraska, the, you know, the, the story, he's a high school legend in Nebraska. He was coached by both of his parents. The dad was the head coach. The mom was the assistant coach. Um, and so my guess is plays at Nebraska, wins a national championship, goes to the NFL. When he gets back into coaching, um, my guess is there's probably only one job that he really wanted. And you could go back and find that cl the clips of him accepting the job back in 2017 on YouTube. I think we all thought it would be a success. And I do feel bad. I know he's getting $15 million to go away. But to fail at a job that, that was your dream job so spectacularly, so publicly in your home state, uh, I do feel bad. I also do feel like the timing was right. Um, you know, listen, if you guys and girls have listened to this podcast, you know where I stand on Nebraska. I was happy that Scott Frost got the extra year. I watched all the games last year, three and nine, nine losses by nine points or less. I'm glad the school decided to give him one more chance. But after the Northwestern game, when you lose in the same manner, the same fashion that you have lost all of these other games through all of these other years, I just said, look, I, I can't feel bad for you anymore, man. You had the offseason. Again, you reworked your coaching staff. You go to Dublin as a double-digit favorite, and you lose to Northwestern. And so Scott Frost is gone. Um, you know, maybe at another point we'll reflect on what went wrong and all that. But I think most people on a day like today, they, they care about the future of the program. And what I would say about the future of Nebraska football, 
maybe, maybe I'm crazy, right? And for people who don't know me, don't know who I am listening to me for the first time, I'm not a Nebraska alum. I'm not a Nebraska fan. I've been to the stadium. It's, it's a great venue, great site. Lincoln's a beautiful town. But I just bring it up say I have no affiliation with Nebraska other than to say I do think thanks to the changes in college football, and I said this after the Northwestern game as well, uh, thanks to the changes in college football, I do believe that this job is a better job than it was even three, four years ago, let alone probably, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago uh, in the world of college football. I believe that because of the expanded playoff. I believe that because of NIL. I believe it because of the transfer portal. Listen, a couple things stand out to me when I think about the present and future of Nebraska. First of all, people in the media, you got to stop criticizing Nebraska fans. I have dealt with a lot of Nebraska fans through the years. I haven't talked to a single one that thinks 1994 is coming back, that thinks they are going to win multiple national championships in a short amount of time. But at the same time, if you look at the changing landscape of college football, I do think it's realistic for this program to be really good and reasonably fast with the right coach. Just think about it like this. Think about what the transfer portal can do for a place like Nebraska. And again, I mentioned it a few weeks ago. Look at the roster that they had on the field on Saturday night. The starting quarterback, a transfer from Texas. Their top wide receiver, a transfer from Texas. Their second best receiver, a transfer from LSU. Uh, they have a safety from Alabama. They have a defensive end from, from TCU who was all conference in the Big 12 and everybody, including Texas, including everybody wanted him. He ends up in Nebraska. So you think about what Scott Frost going into a make or break year with a revamped coaching staff in the did in the portal this year. Think about what a coach on solid footing with a solid game plan with plenty of time to build a roster can actually do in that thing. I think Nebraska has a chance to be really good. And I think also the NIL aspect will help. We talked about it a few days ago. They have the kid, Jacoldis Crawford. That is his name. He had a commercial that was very viral, very public with a heating and cooling company for Jacoldis Crawford. And so I bring it up because the NIL opportunities are there. We all know that in Nebraska, everybody in Nebraska is rowing in the same direction. They want this program to succeed. I believe that Nebraska has the loyalist fan base in college football. They continue to sell out that stadium after all these years. And I do believe that in the new world of college football with the portal and with NIL and with the 12 team playoff, you mean to tell me this team cannot be the third best team in the big 10 every couple of years and make the playoff as an at large, as an 11, a 12, a nine seed. Come on now. And so that's why I think that this job is already better than it was even four or five years ago. And why I think it will attract some really good candidates when it's open. Again, you mean to tell me that the right guy can't get this team to whatever, 9, 10, 11 wins every once in a while and every once in a while compete for third place in the Big Ten? Uh, if Wisconsin can do it, if Iowa can win 10 games, go to the Big Ten championship game last year, Nebraska can do it. And they can certainly do it here in the transfer portal era where I do believe geography in recruiting is less important than it was, again, a few years ago. So with that said, let's get to some names that I think everybody is going to be intrigued by in terms of the, the future of this program. Uh, and it's interesting. I think the, the first name that jumps out to me is a guy that was coaching on Sunday when all of this went down. His name is Matt Rule. He is the head coach of the Carolina Panthers, and he is very much not in a very good place right now with the Carolina Panthers. He is entering year three. He obviously has a college background. I think everybody knows that. But went five and eleven last year, five and twelve the year, or five and eleven in his first year, five and twelve the year before. He enters year three. He's got to win games. He's got to win games big. And here's the bottom line: he's not going to because I don't believe he has elite quarterback play in Baker Mayfield. And I love Baker Mayfield. I hope I wish him nothing but the best. 
But at the end of the day, we've seen who Baker Mayfield is, even healthy. And he's a guy that could barely get a team into the playoffs when he had elite defensive line play, elite run play, elite wide receivers, all that stuff. So now you're telling me that going to Carolina under Matt Rule, he's somehow going to turn it around without all that? I just don't see it. I think Matt Rule's out after this year. And I think Matt Rule is the guy that probably makes the most sense in terms of a real high-profile candidate for Nebraska. Now, for those of you who maybe have forgotten over the last couple of years, and if you have, I forgive you. The world's a crazy place. There's a lot that's happened. But while Matt Rule is not working at all at the NFL level, I mean, this guy has a track record of being really good in college, right? I mean, first of all, was really successful at Temple. He ends up going to Baylor. I thought it was a weird cultural fit when he decided to go. Remember, Baylor was coming off all that crazy Art Brile scandal. Matt Rule was legitimately awesome when he got to Baylor. Never fr- wasn't from Texas, had no ties to Texas. To his credit, he, he built a strong staff, including Joey McGuire, who's now the head coach at Texas Tech, and they completely overhauled that team. Went 1-11 in year one. I think people forget this. By year three, year three, not year six, not year five, year three, they were 11-1 and one and playing for a Big 12 title. Nearly beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. They beat Oklahoma. They are competing to go to the college football playoff. They lose to Oklahoma. They lose in the Sugar Bowl to Georgia, but they finished 11-3 and before Matt Rule left for the NFL. And so I think you bring that guy to Nebraska with all the resources that they have, with the facilities, with the transfer portal, with NIL where it is right now, I'm telling you, that guy is going to succeed because if he succeeded at Baylor in the mess that he inherited from Art Bryles, I have no reason to think he can't do the same in Nebraska. Now, I understand Texas, uh, you know, Baylor has a little bit of a better recruiting base in Texas than Nebraska has in the Midwest there. But again, for the fifth time, the 10th time, give that guy the transfer portal and NIL, I think he's going to be really successful. Let's keep it going. You know, two guys, I think, in the Midwest that make a lot of sense out of the Big 12. Uh, One is Matt Campbell. And listen, I, I know Matt Campbell, guys like me and people in the media throw his name around all the time. I get all that. But at the same time, what I would sit there and say about Matt Campbell is I do see a scenario where I get that he's been good, but not great at Iowa State. First of all, we need to acknowledge that he has been like better at Iowa State than literally anybody in the modern era. Uh, They are coming off five straight bowl games, something that has never happened in school history. They had nine wins two years ago. Uh, He's putting players in the league, Brees Hall's in the league, all that stuff. Uh, And he's doing it at a place that it's really hard to do. Iowa State is probably maybe, you know, in the current Big 12, the ninth to 10th best job in the Big 12. All the same problems that Nebraska has without all of the resources and history and and, and everything that Nebraska has, Iowa State has the same problems. Limited recruiting base, limited ability to get guys there. If Matt Campbell can build a nine-win program at Iowa State, why can't he build a team that can compete for a playoff berth at Nebraska? Now, a couple of things stand out. One, I, I think on a positive with Matt Campbell, why I like that consideration for a hire so much. And by the way, I should mention with Matt Campbell too, this is a guy that won nine games a few years ago, has won consistently in the Big Ten. Never forget, he is a guy, by the way, um, who is doing it with less talent than some of the teams in his league. He beat Oklahoma a few years ago. Oklahoma certainly has more talent than him. He's beaten Texas a few times. Texas has more talent than him. So now let him go to Nebraska. Let him have the opportunity to build a program there. I think he has a chance to be really good. I would only say the real downside to him, obviously we saw it on Saturday when they barely beat Iowa in a crazy low-scoring game. It is a scenario, I will say. I would think that they want to talk to him a little bit about the style of play. Like, okay, we're going to allow you to to recruit a little bit of a better caliber of player here. 
we need you to be a little bit more interesting. That would be my only concern is a little bit on style of play. But Matt Campbell's a guy that I think is going to get a call. If you can build a consistent eight-win program, sometimes nine-win program at, at Iowa State, I believe you can build a 10 to 11 win program at Nebraska. I don't want to say no problem, but I think it can be done. Another guy that, you know, I don't know that he would have been a candidate 24 hours ago, but I think you seriously got to consider him. Lance Leipold at Kansas. Okay. So Kansas for people who missed it in year two for this guy, remember he came in last year after spring practice. Okay. Spring practice ends. Les Miles gets fired. All their best players transfer. He comes in after spring practice, still manages to get the team to the two-win mark. They win at Texas. Now entering year two with a full offseason, what does he do? He starts 2-0 for the first time since 2011, beats West Virginia on Saturday. I believe it was at West Virginia. I didn't, wasn't able to catch much of the game as I was doing Fox Sports Radio. He gets a win over West Virginia. And now you look at that team. I'm not saying they're beating Oklahoma or Baylor or Texas tomorrow. But you mean to tell me Kansas might not be a 4-5 win team this year? Why not go consider that guy? Why not go get that guy? And again, the other thing to keep in mind with him, this is a guy that has built a national championship caliber program uh, at the lower levels. How about this? Six national titles at the D3 level at Wisconsin Whitewater in eight years. So those are some of the names that, that kind of first jump out to me with Nebraska. And I would say a couple other things. You know, one, I've heard a little Jamie Chadwell, the Coastal Carolina coach. He has been on the Aaron Torres podcast before. Uh, that offense, I think, would be electric uh, at Nebraska. But what I would also say is a few things. One, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the name that you all want me to mention, and that's Urban Meyer. And what I'll say, I already did a whole segment on Urban Meyer in Nebraska after Dan Patrick dropped that little nugget, if you will. I don't think it was a bombshell. I think it was more of a, a, a pseudo report. But what I said about Urban Meyer is, look, I know that he's this guy right now that seems unhirable. I get all that. At the same time, what I would also say about Urban Meyer, and I think this is important, he's 58 years old. He's left coaching three times. Well, two times. He's left coaching three times, and the previous two, he has absolutely come back. This guy is someone who seems like he is only fulfilled by being on the sideline, only fulfilled by having a whistle uh, on, his, on his neck. And we've seen him do TV twice. He doesn't want to do it. And I have no inside information on how happy he is. How on it. He doesn't want to do TV. He wants to be a coach. He's 13 years younger than Nick Saban. You mean to tell me he doesn't have one more run in him? I believe that he does. The question is, would it be at a place like Nebraska? Now, again, Nebraska in a 12-team playoff year. Can you win at a high level at Nebraska? I believe that you can. Um, and I believe that at the very least, Urban Meyer in the coming years, whether it's Nebraska this year, whether it's someone else down the road, Two things. He's going to listen to job opportunities. And I believe at some point somebody is going to hire him. You can talk about all the baggage, how he left Florida, how he left Ohio State. At the end of the day, there's like seven dudes walking the earth that have won a national championship in college football. Five of them are coaching right now. One is Coach O. Uh, one is Co Les Miles. I don't think either of those guys is very hireable at this exact moment. And the other one is Urban Meyer. And you can criticize Urban Meyer for that. The guy has won three national championships at two schools at some point. He is going to take another job. I'm guessing it's probably not Nebraska, but I truly believe that he is going to take this job. And what I would finally say is, I think if last year's coaching cycle taught us anything, it's that in this era with this much money and also this much pressure at other schools, I don't think any guy is completely off the list. Now, some, some guys logically, just because of buyouts and money and this and that, they are, but you look at last year, who would have thought that Lincoln Riley would ever leave Oklahoma? Who would have thought that Brian Kelly would ever leave Notre Dame? 
And I'm not saying USC and LSU are the as I'm not saying Nebraska is as good of a job as LSU. What I am saying, though, is you got to make these calls because you never know who could be interested. But when I look at Nebraska, I see a program that, as I said a minute ago, I do believe they're going to get a better candidate than they initially than, than I think a lot of people expect. All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to wrap with a result from Saturday that was both very surprising, but not surprising at all. Kentucky walked into the swamp as a six-point underdog in the Betfred Sportsbook, and they walked out with a 26-16 win in absolute dominant fashion. And so while this was a big win from an underdog, it also proved something to me. And when I say big, I mean meaningful win by an underdog team in an SEC night game. What it said to me is something that I've said on this show for years. I've said on all my social media, my Twitter, my whatever. Mark Stoops is the single most underrated and underappreciated coach in college football. And I don't even think it's close. Now, to be clear, to be clear, Kentucky fans, Deep breath. I know how much you guys and girls love him. I know how much he means to your school, how much he means to your state. By the way, the fact that he can go at John Calipari publicly like he did pretty much tells you everything you need to know. I know how revered he is in Kentucky. What I am saying is on a national scale, I do not think this guy gets nearly enough credit. So first of all, goes into the swamp. As I said, let's talk a little bit about the game. One thing that stands out to me, I don't think Kentucky played anything close to its best game. And they certainly weren't at full strength. And that tells you everything you need to know. I understand that Florida's in a rebuilding year. I understand it's a first-year head coach. But they are coming off a victory over a top-10 team. This game was at home. It was at night. And Florida is going to be pretty good under Billy Napier this year. So the fact that Kentucky can go into the swamp and get the W playing at less than 100%, one, shows you who Mark Stoops is, right? First of all, for people who didn't get a chance to watch the game, again, Kentucky wasn't great. This wasn't a perfect performance from Kentucky. They finished the game 70 rushing yards total under two yards per carry. Now, some of it was some, some weird plays with Will Levis kind of, you know, uh, lost, lost yardage on, on runs and sacks and stuff like that. But they, they didn't completely dominate. They had a turnover. They had uh, a missed field goal that would have essentially iced the game. So this was far from a perfect effort from Kentucky. But how did they win? They won by doing what Kentucky does under Mark Stoops. I thought they largely controlled kind of the physicality and toughness of the game. I know the stat sheet might not indicate it. Go ahead and watch the game. Beyond that, I thought the defense played, uh, had a brilliant, not only just a brilliant game, but had a brilliant game plan to slow down Anthony Richardson. Now, if you listen to this show last week, you know, I did not start the Anthony Richardson hype train. I thought he looked awesome. But when I started hearing people compare him to Cam Newton and Vince Young, I said, I don't know who, People that I respect, I'm like, what are you doing? It's not fair to the kid, and it's not realistic. Well, Mark Stoops in, in Kentucky did a much better job than Utah of slowing Anthony Richardson down. Finished with 14 of 35 passing, 143 yards. That's four yards per completion. Florida did run the ball relatively effectively, but Anthony Richardson did not. Six carries for four yards, not pretty for Anthony Richardson. But again, it speaks to who Mark Stoops is, the, 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 the game plan that he put together and the fact that Kentucky found a way to win in the swamp. And as the game got, went final, I do think that's when I realized, like, we need to talk about Mark Stoops on Monday's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. 
Because what stood out to me is that Kentucky went to the swamp, got the victory, and what was surprising about it was how unsurprising it was at all. The fact that Kentucky goes to play Florida, they hadn't beaten them in 30 years, 30-plus years as of about five, six years ago. They have now beaten them for the third time in five years, and nobody was the least bit surprised. And it speaks to who Mark Stoops is, and it speaks to the program that he has built. Think about everything. Listen, I know we have young listeners of this show, listeners of a certain age that maybe don't really remember life before Mark Stoops. This isn't a knock on Kentucky, but it wasn't the best football program, right? I mean, everything that Mark Stoops has done, and what I like about it too, it's been a slow, gradual build. This isn't a, 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 a you know, the portal has helped the last two or three years, but it's not as though he, he did this in the portal era. It's not as though he got there and, and was able to flip the roster overnight. No, this was a gradual build from two and 10 back to back five to seven seasons where you can't seem to get over the hump back to back seven and six seasons, a 10 and three season, a 10 and three season last year. And think about all the things that he has accomplished along the way. As I just said, Kentucky had not beat Florida in over 30 years. As of 2018, they've now beaten them three times in the last five years. Kentucky had not beaten Florida in Lexington since the late 1980s until last week, or excuse me, they had not won at the swamp from the late 1970s until a few years ago. They've now done it twice in three. They don't do it for two and a half decades. They've now done it twice in, in three trips to the swamp. On top of that, you look at everything else, the 10-win season. We now have two 10-win seasons in four years at Kentucky. Again, that was something that had been done zero times since 1977. Like the mid-70s was the last time Kentucky won 10 games. They have now done it twice under Mark Stoops. And so to me, what it speaks to is the program that he's built. And the one thing I'll say is, if you watch that game on Saturday, there's no reason to think this thing can't keep going. This isn't like celebrate now because it'll never be like this again first of all you won 10 games a few years ago you repeated it last year I see no reason why they can't do it again this year now I'm not going to be naive I'm not comparing them to Georgia or Alabama or Ohio State but at the same time look at what we saw on the field Saturday you have an NFL caliber quarterback that outplayed a guy that people were talking about as the Heisman favorite after week one you got some real dudes right we just talked about Notre Dame do they have enough dudes enough x-factors well, when Dane Key goes up, the, the, the freshman wide receiver, and rips a ball out of a cornerback's hands, Kentucky's got some guys there. And then on top of that, you just look at across the board. Again, th this is a young team. This I don't want to say this was supposed to be a rebuilding year, but they did lose a lot off last year's team. Go to the swamp, get the win. And again, outside of Georgia, who on this schedule can they not beat? Who on this schedule? I mean, they don't play Alabama this year. Don't have Ohio State in the out-of-conference. I know Tennessee is going to be a challenge. I like Tennessee. I think they're really good. Um, I think Ole Miss is good. I think Mississippi State is good. But I don't see the reason we can't have another 10-win season. And I don't see a reason why in the future, and it all depends on what college football looks like, this program can't get to its stated goal of win the SEC East, go to Atlanta. Not saying it's happening this year. Don't think it's inconceivable, though, for this program, the way that it seemed inconceivable even four or five years ago. And so it speaks to Mark Stoops. It speaks to who he is. And I'll just say a couple quick things before we wrap the show here today. One, you know, I, I, I'm not smart enough to have really done the deep dive on the greatest program builders of my lifetime. 
but he's got to be in the short conversation, right? I say this all the time in college basketball about Jim Calhoun and my alma mater. A lot of guys have won at North Carolina. A lot of guys have won at Kansas. Jim Calhoun went to a school in the middle of the woods in the toughest conference in college basketball and built a three-time national champion that won a fourth championship after he left. Well, what is Mark Stoops doing at Kentucky? He hasn't won national championships, but in the toughest, uh, the toughest conference in college football, he has gone in and built a team that is consistently winning seven, eight, nine, ten games a season. Again, I don't know if it's the greatest program build of my lifetime, but it's got to be pretty darn close, right? And again, it's sustained. It's over six, seven, eight years. It's not having a, a you know one year where all the bounces go your way. Think about all the coaches that have had one year where all the bounces go their way. Butch Jones at Tennessee, Will Muschamp at Florida, uh, you know Gus Malzahn at Auburn, Jeremy Pruitt, I think, had a, had a year like that a few years ago where about four or five games in a row, everything went their way. Mark Stoops has done this over six or seven years. And so it's one of the great program builds that I've ever seen. And I'll also say this. I've said this before on Mark Stoops. I hope we enjoy and appreciate this guy, right? Because the one thing that stands out to me about college football, especially now in this 14 playoff era, is the idea that I I think we get so wrapped up in the playoff. That's not what college football is and is supposed to be about. It's about the journey, about the experience, about the highs, about the lows. Yes, if you're Alabama, the expectation is to win every game. But for everybody else, it's a process. There's speed bumps. It's not easy. And I think we get so lost in who's in the playoff, who's out of the playoff, who was your playoff after week two, that we forget about the programs like Kentucky, that we forget about a program like Oregon State, which made its first bowl game in seven years last year. We forget about Arkansas that had an incredible run under Sam Pittman, nine wins. They look awesome again this year. We forget about... um, you know, UCLA that finished eight and four last year, they're not going to make the playoff, but that was a great season for UCLA. That was a great season for Arkansas. That was a great season for Michigan state a year ago and Ole Miss a year ago, winning 10 games. And it has been a great run for Mark Stoops at Kentucky. So congrats to Kentucky. I'm picking up the win. Now, listen, this is the sec. It doesn't get any easier. I know that Kentucky's got a, a, what should be a gimme this week against Youngstown state. It better be a gimme. North Northern Illinois before they jump back into SEC play with Ole Miss in a few weeks from now. But again, just want to go ahead and give Mark Stoops credit. We spend so much time only talking about Saban, only talking about Ohio State, only talking about Georgia. We need to appreciate some of these other stories in college football as well. Really quickly, just a couple other notes from across the week. Uh, one, USC looks awesome, and I they, they struggled late. It wasn't pretty late. But USC does go ahead to Stanford and win convincingly 34 first half points in the first road game of the Lincoln Riley era. And I don't think Stanford's good, but when you do what they did, when you finish with 500 yards of total offense, it seems really good. Now they did give up 400 plus yards of of total offense on defense. So I think the defense is a work in progress. But for those of us that thought that Lincoln Riley, it was going to be a nine and three, eight and four type year. I think he's going 10 and two at minimum and having a ton of success there. Also, really quickly, want to give a shout-out. I mean, I mentioned Arkansas a second ago. They destroyed South Carolina, as I said they would on Friday's show, beat them up along the line of scrimmage, uh, and wins convincingly. And finally, you know, you just talk about a story that I just mentioned a minute ago in terms of we don't spend enough time talking about the smaller stuff in college football. How about those Kansas Jayhawks? How about those Kansas Jayhawks going on the road to West Virginia and getting a win over the West Virginia Mountaineers. Now, Neil Brown, he's got some splaining to do. But as I told you a minute ago, Lance Leipold, I just think this guy is a program builder. 
He's a program developer. Um, and Kansas football going on the road. I believe this is the first time since 2011 that they are 2-0 and to start the season. They beat Tennessee Tech in week one. I believe it's the first time that they are 1-0 uh, and in Big Ten and Big 12 play since 2011 as well. So let's give a quick shout-out to the Kansas Jayhawks among the many teams uh, that were very impressive on Saturday. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. I told you. It was going to be a barn burner today. That's exactly what it was. Uh, and I appreciate everybody's support. For those of you who are not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars if you don't mind. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. I will be back on Tuesday with a new episode. It'll be short. It'll be quicker. We won't have, uh, you know, 90 minutes of content or whatever today ended up being, but I think that's it for this afternoon. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, UF head. Unblock me, dude. I'll be back Tuesday. New episode, Aaron Torres sports podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.